You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, Lord Jesus, it is remarkable that you would love us one by one to really love us. Thank you for moments like these to stop in the middle of the day and turn our attention to you. In your mercy, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills, Lord, and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I would give this address the, uh, the title of The Power of an Invitation. Just a single invitation. Maybe you were invited to be in this service, this very service. Trust this will be a powerful moment for you. I'm going to be reading a passage from John's Gospel, chapter 1, where Jesus, having been announced by John the Baptist, created some interest amongst his, John the Baptist's, immediate followers. And uh, you'll see how that unfolds. So from uh, John chapter 1 and verse 35, it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, and given their answer, I would assume they were really taken off guard because it was a kind of a nonsensical response that they gave. At least that's my read on it. So what do you want, asked Jesus. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and I will show you. So they went out and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which means translated Peter or 
a rock. So you saw what happened there. Andrew, when he heard Jesus described as the Lamb of God, and we addressed that title earlier this week, and in fact it's the front of, and I've just realized this, the, uh, the brochure for the whole of Lent is a lamb tied and laid on an altar. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In any case, Andrew, along with this other chap, goes and follows Jesus, ends up spending the day with Jesus, becomes convinced that he is the Messiah, which is a radical, very radical conclusion to draw. Runs and finds his brother Peter and says, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Now as the chapter unfolds, there are several other people who in the same way are invited to come and see Jesus and to meet him. But you realize that that invitation of Andrew to his brother, Peter, is the beginning of the rest of Peter's life and story. I mean, to imagine the basilica in Rome built and named after Peter. And all kinds of people are called Peter. The radical transformation that came about through a simple invitation. The same was true for me. Ordinary guy going to church in London, chasing a girl who'd broken my heart. That's how I got to go to church, first of all. The preacher was really very straight ahead, worth listening to. So I went more and more frequently to hear him. And one evening, walking out of church, following an evening prayer service, he caught me at the exit and said, will you come with us to hear Billy Graham? That was in May of 1954. Now, I knew Billy Graham was in town. You could not miss that. The advertising campaign was spectacular. On all transportation, the underground, the buses, the billboards, we all knew that Billy Graham had come to London. But I had no intention of going to hear him. It never even crossed my mind to go and hear him. And then I got an invitation from the pastor of this church, Canon Kenneth Druitt. I have his picture on my desk back home. I sometimes look at him and tear up after all these years. He became my father in the Lord and nurtured me, mentored me, and is one of the reasons I'm here preaching today. But when he asked me, would I go and hear Billy Graham? I said I would and did. And that evening, listening to Billy Graham, 
I think it was a Tuesday night, about the second week in May, I surrendered my life, turned it over to Jesus. At that time, I was training to be an engineer. And another one of the trainees with me went, and he came forward with me when Billy Graham made that altar call. And that was another whole experience, which uh, I won't take the time to describe, except to say I couldn't believe it when he was asking people to stand up and come forward, which you all in America have gotten kind of used to. I guess it's not exactly Episcopalian, but that's what he does. And that's how I responded. The power of an invitation. I was actually invited to come on a preaching tour here in the USA. I ran into my wife. We met in June and were married at Thanksgiving. I was already ordained and in the ministry and uh, we've been in the ministry together for over 50 years now. But that invitation changed my destiny, my life. Let me simply say this, given where we are in our service, Thursday noontime in this week, you've got the whole of Lent, and I was just looking over the speakers, you've got some really good speakers coming, is to take the advantage you have with friends, the opportunity, and invite them to come out for lunch. The lunches are spectacular. The way the Advent, the cathedral here, has that organized is absolutely stunning. My wife and I are absolutely overwhelmed with pulling that off for the whole of Lent, 40 days of Lent. Use this opportunity to invite someone because of the transforming potential of being here for one of these lunchtime services and hearing whomever it is who's the the preacher. I was invited by a group here in Birmingham, Alabama to lead a trip to the Holy Land. I would have to guess that was close to 25 years ago. And a group of us from this city, with myself and my wife as the leaders, went to the Holy Land. I know you have two such trips already in the calendar. The first sold out, and I think the second one has sold out. And after I'm done here, maybe you'll have a third, and that one will sell out. But it is a phenomenal opportunity to walk where Jesus walked. And we were at Calvary. This is where Lent is headed. A very fast ride to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And we were standing on Calvary. John Guest with a group of people from Birmingham, Alabama, I'm smiling to myself because the Palestinian chap, who was a Christian, was our group tour leader. And he spoke very, very quickly. Very much like I'm talking to you now. And the group that I was with spoke very, very 
slowly. <laughs> and I found myself interpreting our tour leader to the Alabama folks and interpreting them to him. But standing on Calvary, a massive church has been built over the site. But to be there and to cast your mind back and say in your own mind's eye, this is where Jesus was crucified. This is where he was nailed to a cross and where he died to pay for the sins of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there we were. And I took the last words of Jesus to speak to my group of Alabama friends. The last word of Jesus as he cried out, it is finished. Chapter 19, verse 20 of John's Gospel. It is finished. The word there in the Greek is tetelestai, which literally means paid for in full. So that when Jesus was crying out, it is finished, uh, he wasn't so much saying the agony is over, the pain is done with, this moment in history for which it was ordained I should come and die on the cross for the sins of the world. That's all implicit, but what he was really saying is the sins of the world have been paid for in full. Paid for in full. And I explained what that looked like. That there is nothing more to be added to the death of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins. Going to church doesn't make any difference. Tithing, 10% off the top of whatever you have as income, doesn't make any difference. That is to your sins, to your relationship to Christ. It's impossible to add to what Jesus did if he is telling us that what he came to do is done, finished, paid for in full. Becoming a preacher, becoming a missionary, trying to live a good and holy life. Those are all expectations of somebody who is committed to Christ but it adds nothing, absolutely nothing, to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Well, one of the men in that group, and I am going to name him because I preached from this pulpit at his funeral here in the church about 10 years ago. He was a prominent businessman in this city, Houston Blunt. And Houston, on Calvary, got it. His wife said to him, you've been going to church all your life. He said, I never got it. 
As a businessman, he saw the power of that transaction. If Jesus has paid for all our sin in full, done with on the cross, and offers to us as a gift received by faith his forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, the hope of heaven when we die, a whole new relationship to the living God as a gift paid for in full. He said, I I couldn't turn that down. And what a remarkable thing on Calvary itself where Jesus died for our sins. As we pray together, He asked Jesus to come into his life. When he got back from that trip, he sent a letter to all his kids. And what a joy and privilege it was to preach at his funeral right here. I don't know if uh, Beverly McNeil's in the congregation, but she spoke at her dad's funeral right at that crossing there. They had asked him whether he wanted to be buried in a coffin or cremated. And Houston Blunt, in his amazing, humorous way, said, surprise me. What a joy to be able to recollect that and that moment at Calvary. There was one other man on that trip. I mean, there were a number of any other men on that trip, but there was one other I want to name. There's a hall named after his family in this church, Glen Island. We finished up in Rome, and we had a prayer together in Rome. But one of our stops along the way in the Holy Land was at the site on Galilee where Peter, meeting the resurrected Jesus, has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus three times asks Peter, that same Peter who got to follow Jesus because of his brother Andrew and that invitation, He got to say to Peter as he asked him, do you love me? Three times. Three times he asked. And Peter was quite hurt and aggravated. Three times he said, you know I love you. You know I love you. But what Jesus was doing with Peter was reinstating him because it was just a few days before that Peter had said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times he denied any association with Jesus while Jesus was at the house of Caiaphas and on trial. I don't know him. And what was really going on when Jesus asked him 
three times, do you love me, was reinstating Peter and given a ministry, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I love you, I love you, I love you was the response of Peter. Well, as we were standing in a circle in Rome having our last meal together, I asked Glen Island if he would lead us in grace. So if you can see us, about maybe a couple of dozen of us holding hands and standing in a circle. And Glenn began his prayer. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. He hadn't gotten to the third I love you. And women were already sobbing in our little entourage. I love you. I love you. I love you. And what Glenn was expressing in that prayer, because of course we had every opportunity for conversation following that meal, was his being completely restored, reinstated, and by that reinvigorated in his love for Jesus. I love you. I love you. I love you. And the wonder of the love of Jesus is that power to reinstate, to start again. Can you imagine the miserable failure Peter thought of himself to be, to deny Jesus? It says in the gospel narrative in John, as he went out, as Jesus was led out, he looked at Peter. I used to have a card on my desk of a painting of that look that an artist, just head and shoulders, of what Jesus, in looking at Peter, expressed. Compassion sorrow, and yet the firmness of the look that let Peter know that Jesus knew. Because Jesus had already warned Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. As I recollect, that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know where you find yourself here this morning. Of course, I don't. But for each one of you is the opportunity, on the one hand, to accept that free gift that Jesus offers you, for you, paid for in full, whatever your past has been, whatever your history, whatever comes to your mind, whatever it is, You drag around behind you like a ball and chain of guilt to be able to come to Christ and know that you are absolutely and totally forgiven as you surrender 
your heart, your sin, your ego, your life to him. And maybe for one or two of you, you started off so well years ago. But where you have been now, you wouldn't want us to know. And the opportunity to begin again. To hear Jesus ask you personally, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And for you to respond, Lord, I do. I love you. Let's bow our heads or kneel if you are able and let's speak to the Lord. So Lord, you extend to us that invitation here this lunchtime. As if you walked amongst us and came to us personally as you went to Peter. You come to us. And this is a moment for us with just you. You alone. I'm going to pray a prayer in the first person so that each one of you can make it your own. My invitation to you, as is the Lord's invitation to you, to take this moment and if you've never ever really grasped that Jesus has paid for in full, as in the Bible, he comes and knocks at the door of your life your soul, your very personhood and desires to enter. And as he comes and knocks on the door, if you open the door, he says, I will come in. His promise, I will come in. And if this is the opportunity for you to begin again, as Jesus gives you that invitation, maybe by way of the question, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? To tell him you do. Dear Lord Jesus, as we look you in the face and see you looking at us, loving us, thank you for such a spectacular opportunity to get real with you, to settle the issue in terms of our relationship to you as you knock at the door of our lives Lord each one of us help us to say come into my life Lord Jesus come in
today. Come in to stay. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. And if you have failed him so miserably, and even as I say that, it comes to mind to you how you have failed him. Say to him, Lord, I do love you. I really do. Thank you for this moment to be reinstated. To begin again with you. O Lord Jesus, I do want to begin again. Thank you. Thank you for coming to me, speaking to me, convicting me, welcoming me, embracing me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the kindness and power of your invitation to begin again with you this moment. And we pray this for your namesake and for those days that lie ahead by which we can glorify and make the most of our lives for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.